Greetings both history fans and film fans. If you haven't already, follow us on Instagram at History and Film. It's a good way to know when new episodes drop or just see other interesting history or film tidbits. And if you have any other questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at simmons at tracknerds.com. Enjoy the show. So I feel like we say this a lot, but this may end up being the most unique episode we've done. We are talking about the 1928 film, The Patriot, which neither Logan nor I have seen because it is a lost film. So a lot of the movies from early Hollywood, you know, they pass reels around the country or around the world and they'd be shown in theaters and all very similar to now or I guess pre-digital and they just weren't necessarily careful as careful about preserving them. So this is a film, even though it's a best picture nominee from back in the day does not exist, but uh, the trailer is up on YouTube that you can check out. They must've been able to pull the trailer from other films or other reels, but it was, it is a historically based film on a historically based event with historical characters. So we thought for a bonus episode, why not talk about it for a few minutes here? Just uh, because this is about the closest as we're ever going to get to being able to see it. And I, I wanted to ask, before we start talking about the historical stuff, just a couple of things about the movie itself. So you said it's a lost film, but there are at least fragments of it that still survive pretty limitedly, right? Like, I think I read that UCLA has maybe some fraction of the entire movie, but it's still considered lost because no one, no one has the actual full film. Yes. So uh, UCLA has about a quarter of it. So I mean, that's that's not okay. that's not nothing. Right. It sounds like they don't screen it very often. But I actually was just checking Rotten Tomatoes to kind of just because I always pull up Rotten Tomatoes. It is a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with 10 critics reviews. And for a movie that's basically been lost since the 40s or 50s. I'm like, how has anybody seen this movie? And so I scrolled down to look at the reviews in particular. And they they sound like people who have watched the movie, but also all the reviews, well, all but one. So nine of the 10 are from summer of 2020. My guess would be that mm. UCLA had a screening of that one quarter of the film. Would be, would, mm, would, would, okay. That would be my guess. I, I, none of them mentioned that, but. Based on the fact that it was summer of 2020, I wonder if it was like some sort of online event or something where they screened it and then maybe streamed it. At the same time. Yeah, potentially. If they've done that, though, it'd be nice to digitize it and then put it out available where other people could watch it. And uh... Yeah, I wonder, like, why not do that? Why not just put the 25% that exists, just, like, put it on YouTube? Because, I mean, this movie is almost 100 years old. It's got to be in the public domain by now, right? Like, surely they're not worried about copyright. No, right, exactly. Especially because I was even thinking about that, too, because I had a thought was, and we may still do it here, I might just... uh, play the youtube video basically just go play by play and read the on-screen things because they're kind of amusing and i was thinking about copyright issues but usually any copyright case comes down to does your borrowing of the copyrighted material obfuscate or eliminate the need for someone to watch it so like if they see what you've done with it will that make them not then seek out the original but like there is no original to seek out so (laughs) we can't really get in the way of any you can't copyright infringement. Something is not available. Yeah, but but I'm saying like you know when we did uh, like Battleship Potemkin, like that whole oh, okay. movie is on YouTube. 
because it's in the public domain. Right, right. I wonder why the like why not do the same for this movie? Yeah, true. Unless unless there's some kind of weird scarcity thing, or UCLA has been able to claim it. I I, I don't know. Because there was there's another movie too that you've talked about before that's in a similar situation. I think even actually more all but of that. twelve minutes. I think yeah. I think you can get like on YouTube you can watch all but twelve minutes, and the UCLA has the only what full movie copy. Is that? Um, uh, Skippy, I think maybe or Trader Horn. There, it's one of these. They're one of those old best picture nominees from back in the day so i forget off the top of my head my paper that has that written down on it is just out of arm's reach here somewhere um, <laughs> but yes it's it's not uncommon and even i think i even might have mentioned on our episode of passion of joan arc back in the day that the version i was able to watch had more footage than maybe people decades previously had been able to see because reels were found with more of it intact and maybe different cuts were kind of circulating around the world and i think the best preserved cut of the passion of joan of arc was like found in the 80s in like an asylum in scandinavia or something if i recall oh really yeah we talked about that a little bit during hugo when we were talking about hugo yes it deals with a lot of this isn't uh, scorsese, Martin yeah. scorsese is like is like pretty involved in very passionate about film recover. preservation yes yes yeah yep and they've and they've like like they find they keep finding films them. No, all right. the time. It, yeah. it sounds like oh, it's you know needle in a haystack, which I mean that is I guess exactly what it is. But they keep finding needles. So mm-hmm. yeah, there's uh, old movies that are just strewn about the world, and they don't they don't realize that they even have them, or they don't realize how rare it is that maybe this you know some closet in some hundred year old building just has a bunch of old metal tin things that people don't realize those might be the only copies of some films. And so if they can get those and digitize them and preserve them and yeah. I I would also just maybe offer that advice to anyone who has like old photos or film or old like Mm. home videos or something. Don't wait. That, uh, that are not digitized. I would say, yeah, definitely don't wait and, uh, either do that yourself or find someone who can do that for you because, uh, you don't want that stuff to be lost. It's just important. And it's just, it's way easier to, click through a yeah. an album on your computer that is to like haul down boxes <laughs> of you know photos and stuff every time you want to look through them so it's easy and convenient and uh yeah you'll be glad you did yeah the digitizing just depending on what it is what your what your starting platform is or starting media is it, it can be expensive but uh it, it yeah. just kind of depends you know vhs you can do pretty easy but if Old film reels can can be pretty pricey, but it, it it is possible. It is very possible. So let's actually. I think I will do that. I'm gonna I'm gonna play the trailer. Okay. Do you want to just play it and then? Yeah, yeah. We can talk over it as it goes. Yeah, pretty much. All right. This theater has the honor to present the perfect motion picture, The Patriot, a Paramount masterpiece. People running around. Yeah, yeah. Commotion. <laughs> Little chariot. The world's greatest dramatic star. What is that? What is that little seal down there? I don't think I've ever seen that before. Oh, the little crown with the birds there. Actually, it. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's just some kind of early cinema thing, but it's also very reminiscent of like Holy Roman Emperor or any kind of like medieval seal there. But so I don't know if that's yeah, a Russian it, symbol or not. It could also be just like generic royal looking. No, seal right, that right. <laughs> put on there to like you know denote. In theory, that I guess we could reverse Google image search that and see if something comes up, but. That's actually harder than you think on obscure stuff. And we get a picture of Emil Jennings in his most distinguished role. And he's hitting people as uh, Emperor or Tsar Paul here, looking very menacing. Inspecting his soldiers. 
like he actually did in real life. We'll talk about that in a minute. Nice, but. nice. A shadow lurks. Superbly directed by the master producer, Ernst Lubitsch. Oh, he's scared. Someone's <laughs> going to get him. He throws a candle. Breaks a window. Oh, that's oh, bad a, luck. With spectacular sound effects. You hear as well as see. Jennings' agonized roar. The wild Cossack riders. Death dueling musketry. Magnificent cinescope music score. With mighty Russian soldiers. As real as life and ten times more thrilling! Exclamation mark. A marvelous all-star supporting cast, including... Florence Fedor. More alluring than ever before. Uh, Louis Stone, polished acting genius. Neil Hamilton, handsome and popular. <laughs> the heartrending drama... And then the word actually is cut off. Man who slew his best friend to save a oh. nation. Heart-rending drama of a man who slew his best friend. He's got a gun. Uh-oh. Pointing at probably one of his mistresses there. Ooh, they're taking her away, so she must be involved with this plot here. Oh, secret... Ooh, a little secret passage. Oh, everybody's out to get him. Run, Paul, run! Actually, we don't like Paul. I think he's kind of a jerk, which we'll get to. <laughs> Looks like the whole court is surrounding him. His days are numbered. He, he retreats back to his throne. Zoom in on his pal. That must be Count Paula. He's got to be, yeah. The Patriot. The Patriot is the screen's most glorious achievement to date. The Patriot, a Paramount picture. Hear and see the Patriot. And know how great a motion picture can be. <laughs> the Patriot, a Paramount picture. So what's funny is that you see you see that in a lot uh, that uh, that hyperbole of how great our movie is. Well, in the early years of cinema, yeah, that happened a lot. The, like they, they would throw around greatest picture ever just in like half the trailers, but they also had a you know decent chance of being right because movies were so yeah. were so new. <laughs> they were really leaning heavy on the hear and see uh, aspect of that. Which uh, yeah, did you see? So basically, so this this was actually one of the last silent films to be not actually might have been the last silent film to be nominated for best picture even though it's just the second year of the oscars they basically the oscars started as the transition to sound had already taken place and, mm-hmm. and so the hearing sound kind of thing advertising is kind of weird because there were already sound films out and it, what i heard on the patriot is it was kind of a little bit of both where the special effects would be kind of la- matched up so we like some of the things you would see they would have the sound effect la- matched up maybe a few lines of dialogue matched up but mostly it was a silent picture oh so it was almost like a hybrid thing like yes yes you would have the piano music where you would have to read the little cards that would come up but also there'd be talking parts and Yes, like bangs when people would shoot their guns. Yeah, and, and I've seen I've seen other films like that from back in the day. I can't remember the titles off the top of my head, but somewhere it's a silent film. But then they made a point of, oh, this is the scene where you, the sound is synced up, and like the whole movie is like building to this one scene where it's actually the soundtrack that's always going is now actually the sound of the film you're watching, and it's like, whoa, mind blown! And then it kind of fades back into oh, silent okay. film. So that's kind of cool. yeah. So yeah, uh, the Patriot. It's, this is just the second year of the Oscars. Uh, the year before, Emil Jennings actually won the first ever Oscar for Best Actor uh, for his role in a couple uh, different films. The Patriot was nominated for five Oscars, uh, including Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, uh, Art Direction, and then it won for Best Writing. The one note it actually says, though, on those nominations, it says no official nominations had been announced this year. So it sounds like they just kind of, my guess is there were so few winners, <laughs> or sorry, so few movies they just announced the winners without maybe a formal nomination process. But I am still kind of confused as to why nominees are now listed. So I just I don't know if maybe those were on the ballots but not announced to the public. I 
I haven't researched oh. yet why that would be because it's, it's not like it's the same list of movies on everything. Well, some movies are not made for director, some for picture, but I don't know what the rhyme or reason behind it. I mean, I, maybe I don't know. Is it possible that that that's how the Oscars were? Like, I guess there's no. Maybe we think of it now, like, oh yeah, of course they would say who the nominees are, but like, there's no reason that that should be the case necessarily. So maybe in the early days it was like, well. They had the nominees, and they sent out the ballots, and they vote, and then the only thing that gets announced is, oh, this is the movie that the Academy says is the best one, and this is the actor that the Academy says is the best one. No, but even like the previous year, it doesn't have that note. Oh, okay. So, I yeah, so I, I, yeah, I'm not, not sure either. Um, Ernst Lubis, uh, the direct, director, he's actually better known for The Shop Around the Corner, which... Some people may have seen a very popular, kind of an early rom-com, but it's also the original version of You've Got Mail. So the Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, mm-hmm. You've Got Mail is a remake of the Ernst Lubitsch movie, The Shop Around the Corner. Um, and then he also made the original Heaven Can Wait that was remade in the 70s with uh, Warren Beatty. And then Emil Jennings, uh, kind of interesting. So he's a big silent film star. Again, we mentioned the first ever actor to win Best Actor Oscar. But during the war, he... Kept busy by making Nazi propaganda films, which basically killed his acting career post-World War II. Um, And then he also had a German accent, so he was great and popular in Hollywood for the silent era. But once talkies became the thing, and especially with World War I and World War II, maybe we don't want to cast the guy with a thick German accent and everything. And I guess, and I, I kind of forgot these, but I guess he's mentioned in Cabaret... Liza Minnelli's character like mentions, "Oh, hey, I'm I'm pals with Emil Jennings." Like, just like trying to like ingratiate herself with somebody. I don't know if she's actually sincere about that or oh, not. Really? And then I guess she is. You've, I think you've seen it more often than me, but I think it's one of the people when she's introducing in the Glorious Bastards. Like, here's so and so. Here's so and so. Here's so and so. One of them is Emil Jennings. Oh wait, what? Like she's saying, like she's they're at the they're at the big. Uh, the big premiere at the end of Inglorious Bastards, and she's introducing all yeah. these celebrities. One of the, one of the celebrities who's just in that scene that she introduces is Emil Jannings. Oh my goodness! I I, I never caught okay. that. Okay, yeah, yeah. Kind of speaks to what how big a star he was uh, at the at the time. That uh, movie, like Inglorious Bastards, does reference a lot of like early Hollywood and early German filmmaking. Yes, I mean yes. Because, of course, it does, because the whole thing is about, like, a movie preparing that, you know, climax takes place at a theater. But, I mean, there's even that whole scene with uh, Michael Fassbender and Mike Myers where they're, like, he's, like, quizzing him about Hollywood versus German filmmaking and stuff. And there's a lot of a lot of references to that. Oh, yes, yes. Filmmakers and actors from that time period. Okay, so, while we don't know, ultimately, the details of the plot of this movie, it is about Emperor... Paul in Russia, and actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about Emperor Paul and kind of when exactly this is all set? Yeah, so Tsar Paul the First of Russia, born in 1796, and then we actually know when this movie takes place because it's about his assassination in 1801. Oh wait, no, that's not right. He was born in 1754, and he died in 1801. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, like, I did the math in my head. I was like. No, he was definitely more than five years old oh, <laughs> when he was murdered. He reigned. He reigned for five years. <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I was yes. reading. Yeah, his reign. So he was born in 1754, and he became the Tsar of Russia in 1796. He had a short five-year rule. He died in 1801. He was at, he was the son of Catherine the Second, Catherine the Catherine Great. Catherine the Great. Yes, yes. And it's actually like one of the reasons why. 
number one, his reign was so short, and also he he wasn't super influential because, well, I mean, he had a short reign, but also like that, even that short reign was so heavily overshadowed by his mother and how, you know, how influential she was. Even though she was dead, right? She didn't like reign at the same time as him. Right. But so she was dead, but like it was one of those things where he was only ever kind of, people would only talk about him and his policies and stuff. In terms of his mother. In terms of how they compared with his gotcha, yeah. gotcha. He never got a chance to be his own czar. Yeah, yeah. Right, and he was never very popular. And then you know, after five years of reign, he's assassinated, and his son is put on the throne. But uh, yeah, he had a kind of a weird upbringing because he wasn't actually raised by his mother. He was raised by Empress Elizabeth, who like kind of spoiled him and it's like a kind of like uh maybe not to this extent but you know in game of thrones oh what's the kid oh robert aaron sweet robin yeah 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 kind of like that gotcha where he's just like super spoiled has all this attention paid to him and he you know it kind of messes him up a little bit okay but uh he really was not a big fan of his mom so when she died and he took over the throne he tried to make Russia kind of as far away from his mom's image as possible. And one of the big ways that he did that was through like very strict isolationism in terms of like their military power and like force projection into foreign countries. So like Catherine the Great wanted to invade Persia and wanted to, you know, have this like a strong Russian foothold outside of Russia and expand Russian territory as much as possible. And Paul didn't want to do that at all. So he was like very isolationist, not only didn't care about expanding Russian territory, but was like very opposed to it. He also did some some weird stuff with the military where he would, even though he didn't want them to be going and like fighting territorial wars, he was really interested in making them do parades and marches and stuff all the time oh boy yeah and so he would have them you know constantly like march around in formation and stuff for him and um, he actually changed the uniforms that they would wear so they had these like more utilitarian uniforms that were like practical and they were you know a very like stereotypical russian style of uniform and because he was so obsessed with prussian stuff he like made the military change their uniforms to this prussian style of uniform that was also like very dressy and ornate and impractical and also hard to maintain and so like all of the soldiers hated him for this because he's making them wear this like super complicated gaudy uniform that they can't fight in and they have to like do all spend all this time and effort to upkeep these uniforms and they were just not about it and he would also do stuff like uh, if if uh, soldiers would mess up their marches or their little formations or whatever he would like personally order soldiers to be like whipped oh he <laughs> he had it was like a one of his like personal guard units or whatever messed up some ceremony or formation or a parade or something like that and he like said, "Okay, you guys just messed up. March to Siberia, right now. 
go. And he didn't call them back until they got like, they were like 10 miles away. And he was like, all right, you can come back. It's like, take a lap, take a lap. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But to Siberia. <laughs> so yeah, he was also an eccentric guy. Like he said, very heavily isolationist. The thing that actually led to his assassination, though, was the policies that he had surrounding chivalry. So he wanted all of the nobles in Russia to adopt this code of chivalry. And uh, he also repealed these laws that Catherine, his mother, had made where, like, you were allowed to do corporal punishment to, like, peasants and, uh, you know, lower-class citizens if you were a noble. Mm. And he said, no, we're not going to do that anymore. <laughs> so that was actually a good thing, yeah. Right, but the nobles didn't like it because <laughs> they are like, well, how are we supposed to, like, keep them under our thumb now? It's going to be a lot harder if we can't just, you beat know, them. Yeah. beat them whenever we want. Wow. So they were they were not fond of that, and they were not fond of all of these increased rights for, you know like farmers and serfs in their little areas of influence. And so they started a plot to kill him and put his son on the throne instead. So it was there was a, a plot that involved, like in the movie, one of the other main characters is this Peter Ludwig von der Palen or Palin. I'm not nailed I'm not really it. Sure <laughs> <laughs> but he was a this von der Palen guy is a he was a a general in the uh in the Russian army. Not there's not a ton of information out there about him and really the stuff that is out there is only the, so like we talked about with uh last duel with the last duel where like those figures are only known as you know as much as they are because they were involved in this duel otherwise there's not really a ton known about him. Kind of the same thing with this guy. The only like he was a general in the army and like he was involved in this plot to kill Tsar Paul the first. But other than that, he didn't really, he, he wasn't really influential in any other ways. He was just like this, you know, your run of the mill, minor noble, a general in the army who fought in a few wars. I think he earned some awards for valor. And then he gets wrapped up in this plot to kill the Tsar. And he actually, one of the one of the things that he did in the plot that was actually kind of pushed it over the edge was he got the emperor to issue an arrest order for Alexander, his son. Mm. And so I guess Alexander kind of knew about the plot and was a little bit on the fence about it, but then was not really after that because he saw, oh, you know, the writing is on the wall. Like I might as well get with the conspiracists or I might right. get rid of two, gotten rid of two. Yeah. Although interesting, interestingly enough, though, this Count Pollen, uh, after the assassination happens, the czar's wife, Maria F oh, Fyodoro Fyodorova. You're killing it. <laughs> the oh, man, the name's. Empress Maria, I'll just call her that. Empress Maria banished him, basically. So he was... No one involved in the plot was actually executed. And actually, the uh, uh, like the surgeon or whatever that did the autopsy ruled that it was like, a, like an exploding organ or something. I forget what the term was that they used. It was um, apoplexy. The court physician declared that apoplexy was the official cause of death. 
and apoplexy is rupture of an internal organ. But like caused by the attack or like that he or well, I so guess why we, why is it even officially called an assassination if it if it might have just been like oh I guess he just died because there were, like all the people involved were like pretty open about it I guess afterwards huh. because they had just put the they put the dude on they put Alexander on the throne so like they're not gonna get in trouble that's crazy yeah I guess you're right who's gonna go after them and he yeah. did so he so like they killed Paul and then Alexander just like he's like all right. That's fine. But it's not like they went in and stabbed him. They just kind of... Uh, no, they actually uh, strangled him. It's strangled and trampled. Oh, so they like, gotcha. strangled him and like stomped him out. Which then <laughs> caused internal organ damage. Okay, okay. Right. And so, okay, I guess, yeah. So he... But not, not, not one involved was like hanged or punished really at all. I guess the only, the only punishment that this guy, Pollen, actually received was that he was forbidden from having any like titles gotcha he could, that's it. yeah yeah so he just kind of like went off to one of his estates for the rest of his life it's like the whole uh don't date someone that you cheated on their previous partner with because they're just going to cheat on you so it's just like why would you allow the people who overthrew and murdered your dad to stick around when they could just then decide to murder and overthrow you but mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> Why, indeed? Yeah, which uh, so let's, let's I'll transition that into talking to just briefly about Alexander here. So and we're kind of just going off of who in the cast list on Wikipedia it was a historical figure. So that's kind of what we're what we're looking at here. So yes, the Crown Prince Alexander, who becomes Alexander the First of Russia, is listed as being played by Neil Hamilton here. And so he must have a role in the movie, probably very much as you're saying, where he's kind of on the fence and about, about what they're doing. He was born in uh, 1777 uh, when his grandmother, Catherine the Great, was in charge of Russia. And so he would have been 24 when his dad was assassinated. Um, I did think it was interesting because that he had, there's actually a couple ties to other things we've seen in this project. So he was named after Alexander Nevsky, which was one of the films I did very early on talking about the history of Russia. And one of his godfathers was Emperor Joseph II of the Holy Roman Empire, who's the emperor in Amadeus. So yes. that character was actually one of his godfathers. What I was looking at, too, and I don't know if you read or ran across this, it sounds like everyone kind of knew that his father would be unfit to rule, but that Catherine the Great died before she could officially name Alexander her heir and leapfrog Paul altogether. So it almost sounds like yes. they were even trying to box him out like before she died. And Paul kind of knew that, but he was... He basically just like just really stressed the whole male heir thing, but he like he knew that he was he was trying to get uh, or that Catherine was trying to basically skip him in the line okay. of succession. Yeah, that's crazy. And then yeah, Alexander became emperor when his father was assassinated, and you know like he had only ruled for five years. And it's just to see how this kind of ties into some of the stuff you were saying. So what I was kind of reading, it seems like Alexander's reign was just all over the place. That there is. Lots of conflicts and shifting alliances. Like he'd, you know, he'd ally with the French, but then throw away that deal and join the coalition against Napoleon. And so he just kind of was constantly shifting who they were allying with. And then even like within Russia, he'd promise all these positive reforms for the people, but then not follow through on any of them. And like his father, he started to show signs of mental illness and became increasingly paranoid. Uh, and he did rule for a while, but you know, a couple decades. But then he got typhus and and died when he was forty seven years old, and had 
no legitimate children. And it's also worth noting because he was during, you know, early 1800s here, he's during the Napoleonic era. So that means Alexander here is the czar during War and Peace. So the whole Tolstoy novel War and Peace is set during the reign of Tsar Alexander I. And then I thought this was funny too. So he had he since he had no legitimate children, his brothers then fought over the throne, but as in no, you take it. No, you take it. Like neither of his brothers actually wanted to be Tsar and they they fought over no, you're going to be the Tsar. No, you're going to be the Tsar. And Finally, one of his brothers, I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily like a, you know, violent fight, but it was, neither of them wanted it, and ultimately one of them did accept it, and it kind of went on from there. But I just thought it was funny that very much the opposite of what you usually see for these struggles for the throne, where neither of them wanted it. And then the only other character that has a Wikipedia page, so I don't, which makes me at least know that, or, that she's historically correct versus the other two i don't know if these were real people or not that are not hyperlinked there so it's uh mademoiselle <laughs> my turn uh lupacine okay so one of the mistresses of paul but i think that countess osterman was maybe also one of his mistresses who was the florence vidal but her her character is uh not hyperlinked there so not much uh detail on her Basically, from my understanding, is this uh, woman was recruited to be his mistress. So, like, those that are hoping to gain influence over Tsar Paul kind of said, Oh, I think he really liked her when they met that one time. Let's bring her to court and we'll, like, have her be his mistress. And then we can, like, control him through her and get her to kind of, like, influence his decisions and stuff. And most of that would have been before... She left all before the assassination stuff, at least historically, so I don't know what role she had in the movie. Or, again, we don't know if the movie covers the month leading up to his assassination or the decade leading up to his assassination. So it's kind of... The fact that his mother's not listed as in the cast, though, makes me think it's probably just the last year or months uh, would be my guess. But this mistress was married off to someone else in 1800, about a year before the assassination, uh, kind of just to help her save public, public face. And Tsar Paul even kind of gave his blessing for her to go off and marry this other guy. And then she didn't die actually too long after Paul, though she died of consumption in 1805 um, when she was 27. And consumption is one I'd long heard of but never really looked into it. I guess it's just tuberculosis. And okay. they would call tuberculosis consumption. Because you lost so much weight, it was like you were being consumed from within. Mm. That's one thing that is kind of interesting about all of the people around this time period is like a lot of times, especially because we, you know, this is history and film and we're talking about like movies that portray these historical times. And a lot of times the portrayal is very romanticized. But back in the 18th century, like disease was everywhere. And yeah. like, Bad, nasty diseases that yeah. we don't have now because of... Uh, vaccinations? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the fact that we never had to get the smallpox vaccination because it's gone. Well, I, I got the smallpox vaccination before I went to Afghanistan oh, Okay, sorry. I've never got the smallpox vaccination because it, <laughs> it doesn't exist over here. I thought it was actually eradicated right. worldwide. You still had to get it just to be safe? I got it because I guess that there are still places that 
have it as a bioweapon oh, or there's a concern that people might yes, use it as yes. a bio, like develop it and use it as a bioweapon i have heard it still exists in the lab like we still have smallpox in the files which i'm not sure oh, yes. why but it's right. not and it's not an extent disease where people actually get it in the in the wild right but speaking of smallpox peter the third you know famously was pretty horribly disfigured mm. from smallpox as was i think uh queen elizabeth queen elizabeth the first. first yes yes that's why she wore a lot of makeup czar Paul the first, he has a kind of um if you look actually at the picture of him, he has this like very distinct looking kind of I don't know if you call it droopy looking face. Okay. And I guess when he was like a young boy, he was actually like a pretty handsome, good looking kid, but then he got typhus. Oh. And it like messed him up. So it's yeah, diseases everywhere and even even the people, I mean, these are like the very tippy top of their respective societies, and even they are not protected oh, right. from disease yeah. because it's everywhere and it's in everything. Yeah, just that's just something that's a, an interesting little historical thing that sometimes gets overlooked, especially if you're only looking at history through the lens of uh, movies. Oh, yes, yes, because they often don't show a lot, portray a lot of that, or if they do, it's like you said, it's a. Uh either underrepresented or overrepresented and just uh yeah death was so common it's just it's just crazy i mean that's i mean tangent as we always do here I mean, that's why the world world population explodes in the 20th century because of vaccines antibiotics and sanitation and and yes. all this all the stuff with uh louis pasteur and you know just germ theory like it, the world population didn't hit a billion until the beginning of the 20th century, and now we're nearing 8 billion just because of health conditions are so much better around the world. Even think about, like, uh, Al Capone died because his brain got rotted from syphilis. Oh, which is like, that's just a pill now, right? This is a pill, right? Well, yeah, you get syphilis, you just take some antibiotics, and you're like, you're Right, set. right. So, I don't know, it's just, like, something that was... A death sentence, not even that long ago. Right, right. Like, it's like less than 100 years ago. Right. And now it's just like, oh, yeah, you just get a little shot or take a little pill or whatever, and you're you're fine, you're good to go. Right, or kids getting, you know, crippled from polio was common. And we had a president who was crippled right. from polio less than yes. 100 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. Get your shots, people. Yeah, get, get, yeah, get, your, get your shots. <laughs> we don't want anybody getting smallpox or polio on our watch. Um <laughs> And any other, you know, diseases that come up that have uh, scientifically sound vaccinations available for free. Not to, <laughs> not, not that comes to mind, but. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Yeah, but yeah, but just in general, idea, in general, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah anything, anything else on uh, the Patriot here? Yeah, one more thing that's uh, just a little interesting tangent connection to something else. So remember I was talking about those nice uh, utilitarian, very convenient uniforms that the russian army had yes uh that paul didn't like one of the reasons besides the fact that paul was just really obsessed with the prussian stuff one of the reasons that he didn't like the current uniforms that they were using is because they were designed and given to the military by his mother's lover gregory potemkin who had a battleship named after him the battleship potemkin <laughs> is named after okay that's crazy that's that's funny and uh he also, such was his disdain for Gregory Potemkin, that uh, he ordered his grave dug up and his bones scattered, which didn't actually happen. I guess his grave did. Oh, okay. It, it was okay. However, the 
whereabouts of all of Grigory Potemkin's innards, including his heart and his brain, are unknown to this day. Are you accusing me? Because I swear I know nothing about it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting. It's kind of uh, reminiscent of like the you know missing JFK brain thing where no one knows where that is even to this day. Oh, I think I may have heard about that, but kind of forgot. Uh, that's crazy. People are weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, who was it that we... Oh, uh... Edward II. Cardinal Richelieu. Had oh, his, and Cardinal Richelieu. His body yeah. part was stolen, too. And it was like it was like a long time that some like noble family just like had it as a souvenir. And it took, I think it was like over 100 years of the French government like asking nicely if they could have Cardinal Richelieu's head back. <laughs> that's crazy. I sent you and Joe the clip of you saying, what's the deal with the French and taking people's body parts, dude? <laughs> and uh, I was pulling up my browser at practice and that autoplayed. And I was just like, I, I, I had no explanation. I, I was trying to stop because I, I thought you were, I, I forgot you didn't actually swear during it. And like the, all the cross country girls are like, what in the heck are you listening to? And it was just you saying, what is it with the fridge and tickle his body parts, dude? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, podcast. Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> At least it wasn't the yes, was the other yes that you sent me. Of I don't even. It was like, oh, uh, you're a marine. I think I was talking about the Poo Yi versus uh, T. E. Lawrence matchup. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Oh man, Poo Yi. And that versus... one definitely was not. I, that did contain some swears <laughs> that you maybe didn't want to play for your high school yeah yeah cross-country team anyway hope you enjoyed our discussion of paul the first and the patriot if you have any more recommendations like this we do kind of like doing these little mini deep dives shallow dives into uh stories like these that we wouldn't otherwise be exposed to uh i guess maybe someone will remake this movie at some point here but this is the only version of uh this story i know of and i had not heard of uh czar paul the first before looking into the patriot so Thanks for listening, and see you later.